Matthew chapter 4. That's found on page 967. Matthew chapter 4, we read from verse 1 to verse 11. This is early on in Christ's ministry. He knows that God's plan for him is that he go to the cross. And as we read this, sometimes the temptations with which Satan tempts Jesus seem a little bit strange. I think it's important to keep that in mind. Jesus knows that God's plan for him is that he go to the cross. And Satan is doing everything he can to get Jesus to leave that path and choose an easier option. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God, and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Amen. Well, we're going to sing praise once again. Returning to Psalm 91, number 91. Psalm number 91, that's found on page 600 in the Bible. 
we've been singing our way through this psalm so far this morning. We're now going to read it and we'll spend the rest of our time thinking about its message. Psalm number 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation and I'd ask that you keep this passage open as we come to study it I want to ask you as we start are you anxious are there things in life that get you all worked up are there things in the future that make you feel afraid Sure, many of us here struggle with worry. 
And sometimes, what I think we need is a friend. Someone who takes us to the side, who reassures us that we're going to be okay. This is exactly what we have in Psalm 91. The language in the psalm is very intimate. It's almost as if we are sitting down with a friend. A friend who knows our fears. Yet a friend who provides us with the answer to all of those fears. I wonder, for some of you, is the message of this psalm a message that you need to hear? Is it something you need to listen to as this friend, this writer of the psalm, shares his antidote to fear and to anxiety? So we're going to look and see what he says. And the theme of this psalm is God's deliverance. Firstly, we have the condition for God's deliverance. The condition for God's deliverance. Our friend begins here with a general statement. Verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Our friend here talks about trust. He tells us God is a shelter and a shadow. He covers us and he hides us. God is someone who keeps his people safe. That's verse 1. But it's not enough for the writer of the psalm. He wants to go even further. And so we see verse 2. It's one thing to say that God is a shelter. Anyone can say that. Anyone can learn that from reading the Bible or hearing a sermon. The writer says, verse 2, He is my refuge and my fortress. This isn't something that he has just picked up. This is something that the writer knows from his own life. Whenever the writer has been afraid, when he's been disappointed, when he's felt overwhelmed by worry, this man has gone to God. He is my refuge and my fortress my God in whom I trust this is a man who speaks about God's deliverance with authority not because he's got loads of brains not because he's done lots of research but because he has gone through trials. And when he has faced those trials, he has found his shelter in the Most High 
God. This raises a very important question. Most important question of the whole sermon. Are you resting in the shadow of the Almighty? Do you trust in God? Whenever you hear that God is a refuge, do you simply accept that that's true? Or do you know it? Has that been your experience in life? I think verse 2 of this psalm is the key to understanding the whole passage. If someone isn't able to say, God is my refuge and my fortress, well really, the psalm has very little that it actually says to them. If you're not trusting in God as your shelter, then we have all of these nuggets of hope in the psalm and they all belong to other people. None of them are for you. It's a point that's reinforced for us in verse 9. Notice the first word of the verse. If you make the Most High your dwelling, then no harm will befall you. God's deliverance comes with this one condition. We need to trust God. And when you think about it, isn't it great that this is the only condition that God places on his deliverance? He doesn't tell us that we need to go out and do great deeds. He doesn't tell us that we need to pray a certain amount or read a certain amount of our Bibles. He simply says, trust. Trust in me and all of this is yours. It's the condition of God's deliverance. That we trust in him as our shelter. Before we move on, want to make an application to any of us here who are already trusting. I want you to notice the exact words of verse 1. He who dwells. A Christian is someone who dwells. Let's think back a few hundred years. The castle here in Carrick is under attack. Well, you wouldn't expect the people inside the castle to just pop in and out at their leisure. They would dwell in the castle because all of their hopes are tied up in the strength of the walls. You can imagine how they would feel every time they left the castle because they have left behind their only reason for hope. What I wonder is this. Can we, as Christians, sometimes be people who simply pop in and out of our fortress? 
<coughs> do we trust God with the big things in life? The things that it's so obvious that we can't deal with them. And then, do we try to fix the smaller problems that we face by ourselves? Do we pray to God about certain areas of our lives? Maybe problems at work. And then, do we cordon off other areas of our lives to deal with ourselves? Maybe our family life. I wonder, do we miss out on some of the fullness of God's blessing simply because we aren't dwelling in this shelter? I wonder, do we live with more anxiety than we need to simply because our first instinct isn't prayer? If you're a believer this protection isn't just something that you get at the start of your Christian life it's something that you are to seek every single day I'm as guilty as anyone of making prayer into an afterthought but surely if we had the same total reliance on God that we see from the writer of this psalm Surely we would have much more peace in our minds. So we've got firstly the condition of God's deliverance. It's that we trust in him rather than our own strength. Secondly, we have the extent of God's deliverance. The extent of God's deliverance. this friend <clears throat> Psalm 91 sits you down he tells you that God is a shelter he tells you about his own experience of God's preservation and now from verse 3 to verse 13 he talks about you and assuming that you are trusting in God. This friend tells you about all the ways that God defends you. Don't want you to miss the force of this passage. Notice how from verse 3 to verse 13 almost every single verse is directed at you. These are not to be read as general statements. These verses are designed for individual people just like us to grab hold of when we feel afraid. And the writer here he describes all sorts of different dangers. Isn't it striking? just how varied these different threats are. Verse 5 and verse 6, for example. We have the dangers of the night. 
and we have the dangers of the day. We've got the snare in verse 3 that's on the ground. And then we have the arrows, verse 5, that fly through the air. There's disease and there's war. There's lions, verse 3, and there's cobras. And the writer, after listing all of these different dangers, he tells us, God will save you from all of these threats. Do you see the relevance of this for us? It doesn't matter what your particular threat or your particular fear happens to be. Whether it's unemployment or sickness or grief or mockery or loneliness or pressure at work. Whether it's worries about your family, worries about your finances, worries about your future. No matter what you face, verse 9, if you make the most high your dwelling, verse 10, then no harm will befall you. No harm. Notice in the psalm, just as the dangers are varied, so also God protects us in a variety of ways. Verse 2. He's a fortress. He shelters us with his fortified walls. Verse 4. He's a mother hen. He tenderly wraps us with his wings. Verse 11. He's a general. He commands a whole army of angels to fight on our sides. Sometimes what we need is the warm, tender protection of a mother hen. Other times, what we need is much more robust, like a legion of angels. The writer is telling us here, God does both. He considers the danger that we face, and then he responds with exactly the right kind of deliverance. And I say that for a reason. Because I reckon most, if not all of you, are thinking the same thing. You're asking in your mind, well if this is the case, how come I get sick? Why is it that Christians have accidents? How does that square with what we read in this psalm? I think part of our problem is this. Even though God works in all sorts of different ways. When we pray to God and ask for protection, do we sometimes have our minds made up? Do we have a very specific type of deliverance in mind? 
Do we sometimes expect that God should protect us in the most dramatic way possible? Do we think that God should just sweep away our sickness and our problems? And sometimes, in God's grace, he does that. But sometimes, his deliverance is far less dramatic. And I just wonder, sometimes, does that type of deliverance disappoint us? When God allows us to go through pain. And yet, in the midst of the pain, he gives us the strength to keep on going. He watches over us so that we don't face more than we can bear. God delivers us in different ways. And trusting God means recognising that he knows best. It means realising that sometimes God lets us go through heartbreak and pain. And that through that heartbreak and pain, God is doing what is best. God is actually allowing us to experience his richest blessing. This psalm promises God's protection. It does not promise that we won't suffer. But you're probably still thinking to yourself, okay, I get that, but how come Christians die? Surely, if God is our refuge, well then he would save our lives. I think the answer to that is that we don't have the right perspective. We are fixated with things that are second best. We read this psalm and we think about our bodies and only our bodies. We think about things that threaten our lives. And actually, what God is saying here is much, much more profound. God is saying here, there is nothing, nothing at all that will ever do you, if you're a believer, ultimate harm. The very worst thing that could possibly happen to you, losing your soul. That will never happen to you if God is your shelter. Our eternal lives are safe in God, our fortress. Do you see how that actually makes this psalm even more encouraging? Whenever we come to the time of death and we feel our strength slipping away. We know that our souls are just as safe as ever. When we sin and we're burdened by our guilt, we know that God 
is our refuge, even from the guilt of sin. The psalm doesn't promise us that we will never be physically harmed. And it doesn't promise us that we will never experience death. What it does promise is even better. It guarantees that God will guard our very souls in the shadow of his wings. And you know, I think this is illustrated very beautifully for us in the passage that we read from Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 4. The devil is tempting Jesus in the desert. We've been looking at the the armour of God with the young people. The reason we need armour is because the devil is sneaky and he's smart. And he's so sneaky in the desert that he uses the Bible to trap Jesus. And he quotes verse 11 and verse 12. But what he does is he very, very subtly changes the meaning of the verse. He changes it from a promise that God will be with Jesus. Notice verse 11. In all his ways. In everything that God has planned for him. And he changes it from that promise into a shortcut. A magic trick. A way of summoning the angels. A way of impressing people. A way of establishing his kingdom. Without the pain and the work of the cross. And in Matthew 4, Jesus shows us that he understood the message of this psalm. Jesus knew that very often God's ways of verse 11, I think it's interesting Satan didn't quote that part of the verse. God's ways, his ways of protection, are often the way of trial. Jesus knew that his way, set out for him by God, was the way of the cross. And Jesus, rather than going for the dramatic way out, rather than summoning these angels, verse 2, he simply trusted God. Verse 11. He simply believed that God would guard him in all of his ways. He trusted that even in going to the cross, the Lord of Psalm 91 would still be his fortress. simply could not pick a better example for us to follow. It's easy, isn't it, to trust whenever life is easy. It's a whole lot harder to trust whenever all of our ways 
includes the way of sorrow and of pain. Christ in the desert had that trust. And it's because Christ had that trust, because he had the faith to keep on going to the cross, that verse 13 is fulfilled in him. How sneaky is that? Satan left out this verse. The serpent from the Garden of Eden. And he ignores the verse about the serpent being trampled. Because Jesus kept on going all the way to death. Because Jesus kept on trusting even even when every circumstance he faced seemed to suggest and seemed to contradict God's protection. Because Jesus kept the faith, he trampled the serpent. He went to the cross and he conquered the devil. And in doing that, Jesus secured our ultimate deliverance. He ensured that everyone who makes him their refuge will be saved. And that is the glory of this psalm. It's not simply that we are preserved from suffering. It's not simply that we survive in the face of danger. It's that we triumph in Christ through suffering. So that's the extent of God's protection. In Christ we trample the serpent. Then thirdly and finally, much more briefly, the guarantee of God's protection or God's deliverance. The guarantee of God's deliverance. So remember, this friend has sat us down. He has spoken to us about his own experience of God's protection. But notice there's a change in verse 14. From now on, the speaker is God himself. Of course, uh, God wrote the whole psalm. It's his word. But now, God is directly speaking to us, if you like, as a voice from heaven. He is confirming everything that this man has just said. And the things that God says in verses 14... 16 are true first and foremost of Christ the one who perfectly fulfilled verse 9 but they're also true through Christ of everyone who has faith verse 14 because he loves me says the Lord I will rescue him. Do 
do you love the Lord? If you do love the Lord, then here we have the divine guarantee that God will rescue you in whatever way is best. Verse 15. He will call upon me and I will answer him. Here's the guarantee for those who are in Christ that when we pray, God is going to answer. Also verse 15. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. God acknowledges here that we are going to face trouble. But he also pledges that just as he was with Christ, just as he delivered Christ and honoured Christ by raising him from the grave, so he delivers us and honours us in the midst of our trouble. And then, verse 16, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Here we have the ultimate fulfillment of this psalm. It's not just pie in the sky. God really does protect our literal physical bodies. God may decide to give you long life here on earth, but he might not. It may be God's will to strike you down when you are still young. But ultimately, we experience long life in our risen, perfect bodies in heaven. Not just everlasting life, but perfect life, free from the terrors of this psalm. And even the very youngest believer, a person who dies at such a young age, even that person will not look back in sadness. He won't regret the things that he missed out on in this life because he will be rejoicing in the long life that is his through Christ. This psalm is the answer to anxiety. It shows us that no matter what we face, no matter how much we suffer, If God is our shelter, then our deliverance is guaranteed. (coughs) This psalm shows us that Christians don't need to fear, at least not in the way that the world does. Because it shows us that no matter what happens, we will be satisfied with long life. And as we finish, here's the challenge of this psalm for you, if you're a believer. God has shown you the truth. Now it is your responsibility to live it out.
want to challenge you to live as someone who has a certain refuge. I want to challenge you to face your trials with courage, knowing that your hope doesn't depend on the circumstances that you face. I want you to be confident, as confident as someone who has seen, in verse 16, Christ's salvation. The challenge of this psalm is to live as someone who has hope. Amen. Well, we're going to praise God now from the words of this psalm as we sing them to him.